Welcome to the DevReady podcast, where we're helping non-techs build better tech. With me today, I have the pleasure of um, uh, Yusuf Jalul. Welcome, Yusuf. How are, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me, Anthony. Uh, it's a pleasure. So I met um, Yusuf a few, about six or eight weeks ago at um, Stone and Chalk in Sydney. Yeah. And I was down there yeah. for a trip. Um, he had an interesting story. I thought it'd be great to have a chat and just learn a bit more about what he's doing and how he's approached things over his career. So over to you, Yusuf. How would you um, describe uh, your career to date and sort of your current title and what you do? Yeah, definitely. Well, I'm going to take you back to how it all started. It's a bit of a story, but uh, I think people uh, like uh, like uh, origin stories, you know. So uh, when I was in university, when I was in studying, I started my own hydroponics farms. And it was kind of a venture between me and a friend. And uh, we uh, like uh, we did some investment and it was the first uh, of its kind in, in Lebanon and in the MENA region. Uh, we had a, his father was an agricultural engineer, and we designed the, the platform ourselves. And from those, then I exited, and I was working on them as I graduate, as I was studying. So I, I I exited. I sold my share in around 2005, 2006, and that's when, uh, like, I graduated, and I decided to uh, to start off in in a tech company. Uh, where I was doing, uh, like I was on the business side because I had studied code, but I wanted to work on the business side. And uh, I started off with a couple of uh, social projects, like we were doing uh, a social card where people can get uh, different discounts and different uh, benefits when they buy a card. It was interesting. Uh, it was the first uh, interaction for me with with uh, with tech because we had a small platform to, to keep the database of people. It was it was a VB platform, I believe, <laughs> back then. That's a while and, ago, no? <laughs> yeah, a while ago, and we had it connected to a, a, a plastic card printer, so we had to print on the face and on the back. So every time anybody would buy a card, we'd have to print it and then package it and send it out. It was a nice experience when you come out of college, like you feel like you're doing something, you know, working. And I'm seeing uh, probably a physical card is one step further than programming because you're actually seeing something in the real world. Yeah, exactly. Programming, you never get to see what actually you're making. Exactly. Yeah, then I moved uh, like out of Lebanon. I went to Abu Dhabi. Uh, Dubai, then Abu Dhabi. Dubai was for six months. Abu Dhabi was for three years. I established a tech company there. It was a development company. And it was booming with real estate, you know, the Gulf and the tall buildings that they have. So uh, around every corner, there was a real estate company. And we were like, I was selling websites for crazy uh, websites and uh, and corporate identities. And uh, it, was, it was a real boom until 2008, where everything took a dive. Yep. So I decided to come back to Lebanon because my like my base was in Lebanon and my team was in Lebanon and the sales was mostly to the Gulf. I came back to Lebanon, I focused and I started investing in, in more platforms because uh, I, like, I, I built a medical system, I built an e-learning platform, uh, I built uh, an e-commerce platform back then. So there were a lot of different investments in tech that I did. Uh, up until, uh, to, and I was getting clients as well. So it was kind of like survival mode where you get clients to pay, but uh, launching products to get to, to get cash from them. So basically trying to make them into cash cows. In uh, 2015, 
I pitched a pro- there was a a, gra- a grant in Lebanon for tech startups. So I pitched an idea of an accelerator. Uh, so it was a merge between a coding bootcamp and an accelerator where we take fresh graduates who studied computer discipline. So it could be computer engineers, computer scientists, uh, uh, MIS, management information systems professionals. We teach them how to code because there was a gap in the market. In, in university, they'd learn theoretical knowledge, but when they go to the workspace, they didn't know how to code. They didn't have any practical experience. They didn't have any standards. And we had a good team uh, to, to teach them that. So we applied, we pitched for that grant and uh, we got it. It was a big grant to, to build this accelerator. And uh, from 2015 till 2019, we were able to train 400 entrepreneurs. Oh, well. So we teach them how to code. Uh, then give them the startup roadmap. And while they were in the program that they had to code their MVP. So we had around 100 MVPs. Not all of them were, were good ideas. And then we'd support the ones that we felt would be would do well in the market. We'd support them with, uh, with resources. We'd support them with some cash, some in-kind uh, services. Um, and yeah, by 2019, we were doing really well. We, uh, we were trying to branch out. But sadly, we had a financial crisis in Lebanon. Uh, I, I don't know if you heard about it. Oh, um, not, not, yeah. I don't remember too much. Yeah, well, basically, all the cash in the banks got uh, got locked up. Uh, similar to what happened in Greece, but yep. there still isn't a solution to, okay. uh, to the problem till now. And we couldn't get the cash out. So we, we, we had to close down and consolidate. We had helped uh, almost seven to eight startups launch, and I had also invested in uh, in startups in the market. So the best thing to do was to consolidate. And then in early 2020, COVID hit. So we were just consolidating, figuring things out. And uh, that's when I decided to come back to Sydney because I'm, a, I, I'm Australian. I lived here. I went, I went there when I was a kid. And I had two kids and... Uh, and I was married. So the best thing to do was to bring the kids to somewhere where they didn't have to grow up with all the turmoil and all the things that were happening. Yep. And it took us around two years to get on the plane and get here because of the the backlog that was happening because of COVID and all of the, the delays and, you know, the, the flight problems. Yeah, it was, it was a mess. Yeah. Probably still trying to probably get smooth in certain parts of the world as well. Yeah, 100%. So I I came here around a year and a half. It's been a year and a half. And uh, this year and a half, like with all that I've been through, it was another year and a half of self-discovery, of uh, figuring out what I want to do. Uh, and uh, I decided, like, why? Like, I'm, I'm interested in AI. I've worked in AI. I've worked on projects in Web3. And uh, this is what I wanted to focus on. Like, I, I wanted to build in, in this space because I believe that this is the tech of the future. Like in in the next uh, five to 10 years, everything is going to shift in that direction. We're going to be mainly using tech in Web3 or or AI tech. Everything's like we're seeing it now happen. So this is shifting in that direction. Yeah. Uh, And uh, since I have experience as a, like uh, as an, as managing an accelerator and having a venture builder in Lebanon, I decided why not do that again here? Why not in, invest in services and in experience and in mentorship? Um, 
yeah, this is what I've been, this is what I'm planning to do leading up to, um, like if I'm, if I'm going to do this, I have to put my foot where my mouth is and basically prove that I can do it myself. So, uh, there are some ideas that I'm investing in myself. One of them is, um, uh, uh, is a tech, uh, is an AI uh, travel and activity planner called Actively. Uh, it's a B2B app, and the, the target is uh, not just businesses, but also governments and uh, councils and small areas that want to boost tourism. Like the main problem is, that we're trying to solve is that uh, a lot of these uh, small towns around Australia, they print flyers and they print brochures. So when, when they have anybody come in, uh, they have to pick up these flyers and brochures to figure out what they need to do. And that's still archaic. You're, you're like, it's not environmentally friendly. Um, it might be outdated. Like you can't engage with the users. There's a, there's a big gap. And what we do is uh, through a QR code, like people can scan a QR code, they get sent uh, to a website uh, and uh, this microsite will tell them about the area and then we'll, we'll plan trips using AI and using their preferences around the area. So this is how we're solving it and to help councils keep stay engaged with these users. So if there's anything new, if there's any event that's going on, if there's any news that they want to publish, they can. If they want to collect data, uh, like uh, collect emails for a newsletter, collect mobile numbers to stay engaged with, with these people, they can. Uh, in addition, for businesses, let's say travel agents, this is a value-added service they can offer their clients who are traveling, who are coming into Australia right now because the, the, the list of places is... Uh, is is based in Australia now. Um, for hotels, for instance, uh, people uh, they they come, they stay in a hotel, but they don't know actually what the services are, and they have those menus and those catalogs next to. You. So now also you can scan a QR code in the hotel, and then uh, you get a list of the services that they offer, and it plans around the hotel and around the area. Just so that's it in a nutshell. More accessible. Yeah. Right now. Um, we've uh, partnered with a startup down in Adelaide called Seller, and they do uh, dynamic uh, QR codes. So basically, we're we're blending our text together, where they provide the QR code system, and we're providing the AI uh, planning and uh, and micro uh, microsite uh, engine. And uh, yeah, we're pitching together for councils. We have a couple of pilots that are that we're working on which are probably in the in the works and uh hopefully it'll go well oh nice it's yeah, it's it's a problem because i know yeah um when you go any regional area there are those little information kiosks or different areas yeah. and outside of certain shops they have all like the wall of brochures and all the things you can do in those areas yeah, yeah, yeah. so having that one site rather than having to go and google and actively go and find all the information because some people yeah. will do that but then having it all aggregated in one place and making it more accessible, I can see the benefit to that. 100%. And if you look at the our generation, like the younger generation, we don't use, like we don't look at brochure, we don't see them when we're passing. We don't see the information centers. We don't approach them. Like 90% of the people based on studies that approach the information centers are senior, seniors. You okay. Know? I so, 
Yeah, and even uh, it, it's costly to run the information center. Yeah, there's the staff, there's power, electricity, the facilities. Exactly. You know, like you said, exactly. there's the printing. If they're out of date, how do they cancel a recall? They can't. 100%. Yeah, lots of other problems there. Um, mm -hmm. So when I, I met you, you did like a launch at Stone and Chalk on that event. Has, has everything been going well since then? Are yeah, well, mentioned... we, we, we were able to, uh, to uh, connect with a couple of startups and uh, connect with a couple of uh, people. And we, we have the, the collab going with Seller and that, that resulted from Stone and Shock. Stone and Shock yep. have been very helpful. Oh, that's uh, good. They, they, yeah, they really, it's more than just a co-working space. It's a community and they help build up the startup with you. So they introduce you to different people and it's always hustling and bustling. So you always meet new people and it's interesting. Well, that's what you want. You don't just want a space where you're going to work in quiet because you can do that from yeah. home. You need a yeah, place exactly. to work, but then if there's a community and there's actively people all going through a similar journey, just at different phases, you can all 100%. learn from each other. hundred percent. Yeah. A lot of uh, like one of the, the main issues with being a founder of a startup is founders blues. So uh, there are a lot of ups and downs and there are a lot of uh, uh, people that are questioning you and you're questioning yourself. So being a part of a community that's just pushing you to move forward, it's very helpful. It's very helpful. Yep. So just touching back onto, say, your first venture, that um, hydroponic farm, you said you sold out and you moved into tech. Was there any tech in play in the hydroponic farm or were you just sort of running the oh, business? Very, very oh, archaic that, tech, man. Yeah. It was, how did that transition like, from that business to then tech start? Um, uh, the, like my parents had a development company, so I came into the family business. So basically I graduated from college. I had a bit of money and, um, since my parents had the tech company, like I, I had nothing to do. So I started going to the office instead of applying to jobs. And I kind of stuck around in the office for a while. Yeah. And I, it gave me the freedom of exploring and doing what I feel, uh, uh, like I, to, to, to explore and find myself instead of going to a f job and being in a certain role and being developed in a specific way, you know, mentally. Yep. Well, having so, that flexibility yeah. is not something that's yeah. available to everyone, which is probably very unique in being in that position. Yeah, it was, it wasn't a big company. It was a small company. Like we were focused on uh, building a, a software that, that helped people read and write Arabic. And we actually got an award for it a couple of weeks ago so in the beginning we had like four or five devs just focusing on that and we, we built it on it was built in vb like when we used to install it we used to take cds and and like yeah comp in computer labs like put in the cd and then we we upgraded to a flash drive then later in in 2011 we we invested in developing it into a web platform and the web platform we were able to scale so in the beginning, we were training like 30 people at a time because we needed centers and NGOs to that we can okay. deploy the system in and bring people in. And uh, yeah, after 2011, we, we trained around 7,000 people. Like within six months, the, 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 the software teaches people how to read, write Arabic in 35 hours. And in, back in quick. the Middle East, there's a huge literacy gap. So a lot of people are illiterate because of displacement, because of being refugees, um, because of poverty going around. So, so yeah, we were, ab were able like to train huge groups of people because it became web. 
and we had mobile centers like we we had laptops that would go into areas with uh, with uh, modems with uh, yeah with uh, sim card modems and then we'd give them internet they'd go on and they'd just start studying and and in 35 hours which is around a week they'd start reading and writing a lot of times the younger generations which ca- would catch on much earlier yeah because it's, it's really computer based learning time frame to learn and you know children their their brains are a bit more malleable and it's easier to pick up sort of different languages and stuff yeah but yeah it's yeah the business model sort of just transitioned to scale it didn't really change too much it just allowed you to yeah, reach more exactly. people with less infrastructure requirements effectively because you exactly. don't need the physical spaces that's pretty cool good way in the um, so congratulations on the award as well thank you thank you yeah it was, so, it was well deserved from your time running that accelerator up until 2019 um what are sort of some of the key takeaways or learnings that you had there that you're using mm. in actively or in some of the other ventures that you're getting involved in yeah well uh, this one uh, is said a lot but i don't know if people take it to heart properly like build fast and fail faster. Yep. You have to you have to fail as fast as you can so you can iterate and and know what works. Uh, I would say do uh, as many experiments as you can. So I have a rule before investing in something like a lot of founders they come in and they have an idea and they want to invest a hundred thousand dollars or two hundred thousand dollars into that idea because they see it's like the best idea in the world and but it's not about idea it's about the problem and it's about if the market is ready to to solve that problem or not yet so can you find that user base to pay you for solving their problem so i would say do many experiments like cap them at a thousand bucks so if you have an idea to build an app about something an experiment would be doing a survey a lot of people they, they forget about the basics you know like no why do i need a survey this is what works but it actually like this you need to base it off other people's opinion because sometimes you're you're too deep in the pot and the water is boiling and you don't feel that it's boiling right? yeah you're not building yeah. the product for yourself either you're 100%. building it to serve the customer so as you said asking what yeah. other people want yeah. you're solving a need of other people otherwise you'll have exactly. a product of your, for yourself exactly uh, another type of experiment would be like instead of building a full product, build a web, uh, a WordPress m- m- site, and get people to sign up and see how they they engage with it. You know, doing the, the, the providing the service uh, before building the product, like physically. You know, like a lot of products are service based products. Like instead of providing the product, go do the service and see will people pay you to do that service, how much they're willing to pay. Uh, yeah, so th- those are the two main takeaways, I guess. Um, yeah, and uh, like most importantly, find a team uh, that that works and not not something that acquiesces together, like a team that that contradicts each other and but but that know how to agree on a certain path to go forward with because nobody like two people can't agree on everything a hundred percent of the time. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that's important. Be, yeah, that you said um, they sort of have to contradict. It's more having the different point of views and being able exactly. to explain your reasoning or your thought direction to the other person. Exactly, and it, it's not a matter of convincing the other person. It's just putting forward the best argument that's there to serve the outcome that you are for that business or product or that feature or that yeah. function or whatever you're doing at whatever level it is. 
you do it yeah. all the time. Like I, we run a team of six in Australia and a team of 30 in Nepal and we're designing products. There's questions that come up during development and it's just, all right, ask two, three people, get different opinions because just because I've said something doesn't mean it's right. 100%. And just because you treat you think oh, you see me as the boss doesn't mean that's my decision. My questions, my decision is right either. You have to have different people there to serve the outcome, and you need people to pull each other up. Yeah, that's that's exactly it, man. That's yeah, exactly. The other kind of teams probably which are a headache and you want to avoid are the ones that just say yes to everything. So whether yeah. they disagree with each other or not, there's we've seen what we call rescue projects that come to us from other teams. And mm. the previous team just said yes to everything the client asked for. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a problem. Uh, yeah, it d- depends on on the type of person or the type of client. Because sometimes when you're working with clients, you tell them what they should be doing, and it takes them a while to figure it out. And yeah. that's what yeah. you like. What you don't want in a startup, you want to to be moving fast, breaking stuff, and then fixing the problem later because. Nothing is not fixable, uh, and nothing uh, like nothing is perfect. So, as much as you think it's perfect, it's going to be tweaked. It's going to be changed down the line. Yeah, and then as you said, sort of, if you're doing like a WordPress prototype or a different kind of prototype, and it moving fast is one thing, but knowing that you only have three customers, so if something takes twenty minutes in actual time to do when someone signs up. It's not a problem when you have three or four or five customers. It gets to a point where then you need to improve a system and go back and tweak that thing yeah. and make that improvement. But a lot of people, yeah, a lot of people don't think like that. They try and build the ultimate version of what they're doing from day one. Yeah. And whatever you start with is never where you end up. You pivot yeah, yeah. every conversation almost, depending on who you're speaking to potentially, yeah. uh, as you're refining the idea until you get to that point of that market fit. Yeah, definitely, man, definitely. It's an interesting journey to take an idea and then commercialize it. And yeah, you've seen probably hundreds of different ideas across the accelerator. As you said, there was what, 700 people that went through it and then yeah. getting them off the ground. Are any of those startups still running at the moment or operating that you that sadly, made it? Sadly, no. Like there were some beautiful applications, but uh, they all got uh, just eaten up in the financial crisis. We had an application called Uru's like the Lamborghini. We, mm-hmm. we named the application before the Lamborghini came. <laughs> yeah, so, so it was a fitness app, and it was uh, four, four young fellows doing it, like they were 22 to 25. Uh, and they, they were doing an excellent job. They went out. Uh, it was based on influencers, on fitness influencers, so they'd create custom packages for these influencers, and then they'd help them market them on Instagram on a profit-sharing basis. Uh, that picked up very fast. Like in the first month, they got 500 users signing oh, up. Well. And then the next month, they got like 1,500. And it, it started rolling so fast and, and growing. But like when you don't have cash, everything gets sucked into the black hole. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. They so it, were they monetizing at that point or they weren't up to that point yet? No, they were. They were. The the, the clients were paying clients. So they, they had... Uh, they had some cash coming in, which was good. Like I think they had 2,500, then around 5K the next month, and they were growing. Yep. But there were a lot of costs because when you're like when you're producing, when you're filming, you have teams working. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of yeah. uh, content cost in. And they were sharing the content, uh, like everything they generated with the, with the influencer. So the influencer would get half of the 
essentially. Yeah, okay. And yeah, they hadn't got into that scale where they could probably support it. No. That's unfortunate. That's probably another thing some people listening out there have to understand is there's certain things that are outside your control, which will Mm. affect. In that scenario, it's a financial problem within the country. But there are other smaller problems you have to deal with as things come up as well. Yeah, definitely. There, every day there's a problem. Like every solution creates a new problem. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. So you solve something, and then something else pops up because you solve this something. Yeah, and, and that's why like... the team has to be able to connect and communicate properly. And uh, you mentioned something before, like about the first three to five clients, and it doesn't matter how they're onboarding, but it's very important to listen to them because. They're the ones who are paying you for whatever you're building, for whatever they're using. And you have to tweak and adjust to their needs because they are the, the persona that you're going to target in the future. Yes. So correct. if you're building a, a platform to, for medical clinics, let's say, and doctors are mostly using it or nurses. So this platform, they're going to tell you what they need in it and what makes them comfortable to use it. Yeah. Yeah. You have to yeah, take that feedback on board. If you've got three or four or five people, if everyone gives you a different idea, run all the ideas by all of them and see which goes into your roadmap. Yeah. If you've got prospective clients and that's things to add to your roadmap and help you pitch. And it is important. As you said, they're committing to the product. They see the value and they see what else you could do to help them, not what you think is something necessary. Exactly. Yeah. A lot of people we've seen, they, they focus on what they want or what they think, sort of like with the blinkers on and don't realize that you need that that input from those stakeholders to guide the direction to then get more of them into the platform. Yeah, of course, man. The stakeholders are the most the, the most important player in the whole game. Yeah, like and getting even the feedback when, when early, you like build, you uh, yeah, like when you build uh, your lean canvas or your business model canvas, like there's a huge section about the, the who you're targeting, and and then you build a, a customer persona, and you're getting deep into into their their psyche and what they think and what they feel and and stuff like that and these are the basics that i'm talking about that a lot of people miss they they just bypass them okay so i know i'm targeting doctors let's say and doctors are they're they're doctors we know what doctors think, but no it, a doctor is a person a doctor uh, could be an introvert could be an extrovert could be like there are subclasses within those personalities and you want to focus on a niche market before you think of providing the, the, the consumer with everything you have, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And that niche market, you need, you need to build something like you need to build a cult around your product. You need, you need people to love it. And then when those people love it and they're, they're, they, they, they swear by it, you can scale onto other personas. Yep. Yeah. You need, I don't know how to word it. Um, you need that. Not that just persona, but the problem with un, un, without having that refined niche persona mm. is you start thinking that your addressable market is the entire world, or it's some huge number which looks good yeah. on a PowerPoint, but it doesn't conv- doesn't sell anyone on anything about where the actual market size or fit could be, because you can't exactly. sell anything to everyone. It doesn't matter if it's the same industry. Exactly. Yeah, that's a good exercise. Like when when you're building your pitch deck, and then you do the 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 tangible addressable market and then the fam sam size uh, serviceable addressable market and then the size of your actual market and you see that market like how big it is on on a scale 
uh, of of the globe or a country and then how how small it gets when how, how it shrinks and that's what you should be focusing on and when you're in very early stages it's it's a tiny dot within all of that yeah but then you yeah, having that focus will help you refine your pricing understand how many customers you can actually attain in your first year potentially yeah. or six months not just saying all right we'll have a hundred thousand users in a year or whatever you just put on the pitch deck to make it look like it's a profitable business yeah exactly exactly like at the end of the day whatever you put on the pitch deck it's the financials that they want to look at yep and then we'll yeah. see at least you've thought it through and you've understood 100 percent, and the team like i believe Okay, like if if you have you're solving a problem and you have a solution and these are your features and blah blah blah, but if you're not making the bottom line, then then all of that isn't working, you know. So this is what investors look at, like where is the bottom line? What it was this company doing month on month? Are they growing? What's the scale they're growing with? And then they look back. Okay, so uh, the team, where did they come from? What did they do? Like, do they have the experience do they have the pedigree i call it pedigree because like i believe the best kind of team is a business expert from within a certain industry and then the technical expertise and that's why you always need a co-founder to match so yeah the business expert will not only bring in the business knowledge but also he'll be able to speak the language of of that industry which you're in it's very important Yep. So, yeah, because there are a lot of terms, there are a lot of things that even if you if you know how to build the, the best product in the world, you're going to miss out on those, like the salt and pepper of it, which will make it relevant to to uh, to your target audience. So yeah, there's a lot to be done. It's not an, it's not an easy feat. Man. No, it's not. There's never an overnight success. A lot of people say that, but there's always yeah. years or decades of hard work before that gets you to the point of being deemed an overnight success. 100%. So what's next for Actively and yourself? Um, actively right now, what I'm doing is I'm, I'm pushing for pilots. It's uh, hopefully we're, we're going to implement one soon, like soon within the next couple of weeks. Uh, because, yeah, I, I need the client to, to try it out. Like we've had discussions with different clients. This is a need. Like they want to they wanna scale our changed from the old ways they were doing things from VIX, visitor information centers and printing flyers, and they want to try this out. But it's just getting them to get there. You know, sometimes that takes a bit of a time. Uh, and uh, I'm right now, like what I'm doing is um, uh, I, re I, re I just developed my website and I'm going to launch it in the next couple of days. It's going to have uh, two things, basically. So one is a venture builder. And uh, the second thing is going to be a scale-up program where I'm going to help startups and founders scale, like put uh, a framework to scale their startup to uh, to solid returns month on month. Yeah, so that that's what, that's my focus. Like I, I like to be in the space where I'm working with a lot of founders and a lot of different people and just getting different ideas and, and working with them. Uh, I believe... Yeah, say it's an exciting space to be in. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. Like, there's so always something new, and uh, helping out people. Like, uh, I I meet founders every every day, at least uh, at least two or three per week. So it's always finding people who are passionate, but you feel that sometimes they're going in the wrong direction, or they have 
huge dreams that they want to do from now, you know, that like you have to bring them back to earth and help them get on the, on the, on a right path that will give them something to, to look forward to in the future, because yep. it's not, it's not what you think it is. No, I can, I can guarantee the people who started Facebook. So Sergey and Larry uh, didn't think they were going to build the business that it is today. They were just trying to build the best web indexer. Yeah. It's, it's never, yeah. What you start with is never where you end up. As long as you yeah, listen 100%. to the people and the customers you're getting and you move in the right direction, then yeah. you can get to that final picture, but you have to start somewhere and start the right way. Yep, exactly. And here in Australia, there's a lot of support. Like you have the MVP grant, you have accelerators, you have incubators, you have different things. So there's a lot of support uh, coming in uh, from different places. And, and uh, this is like people should take advantage of that. They should know about this because you like it's very hard to build it alone. And when when you have all that support, you don't need to be alone. Yeah, of course, it's going it on your own is very hard and will be a lot harder than it needs to be. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Yusuf. It's been an amazing chat. Um, if anyone wants to reach out or find out more about you, how can they do that? Um, well, I'm launching my website soon. It's going to be yjventures.au. So, uh, yeah, they can they can go on the website and, uh, like, I don't know, should should we put our – should I give them an email or – Yeah, well, we can put the, the links in your – um in the show notes as well. But yeah, if yeah, you want to give sure. out your email or on LinkedIn, people can how to find you. Yeah, LinkedIn. LinkedIn and the, the website is perfect. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you, Yusuf. It's been a great chat. Thank you, man. Thank you. It was, it's a pleasure. Really nice chat. Pleasure's all mine. Thank you. Bye-bye.